Hello and welcome to the Bell MTS Place version of this week's podcast. You got Ken Weeb and Murata Tess standing right here after Winnipeg's 6-3 win over the Los Angeles Kings to wrap the homestand. They finish it 4-2. They double up on the Los Angeles Kings. Started slow, finished strong. Ken, how do you evaluate what you saw tonight? Yeah, it's been interesting news day. Murat uh, and the hockey game itself was probably a little closer for comfort than the Jets would have preferred but at the end of the day uh, a little bit of a reunion sparked things and uh, that class of 2015 line certainly is playing well and we've seen a renewed enthusiasm from uh, Mr. Jack Rosovic as he's moved back into the middle uh, as the Jets finish a 4-2 and two homestand I mean it's kind of right around what we thought they would need to be at I mean Paul Maurice used the term 4-2-1 and one. And if they play at that pace for the remainder of the year, that would keep them in the race and possibly get them in. Uh, when I started crunching the numbers, it didn't seem like it would be enough. But when you go back, that kind of a pace would get them to 90 points. And then there would be two extra games to see if they could convert those other four points. So, I mean, is it going to be 90? Is it going to be 94? That we don't know. But uh, if the Jets play at that 4-2-1 pace, they will be right in the thick of things and should make for an exciting finish but I mean I think for the most part they had a strong homestand they had a couple of hiccups but they responded well to them and I think they got themselves a boost in the locker room as both you and I have spoken about and or written about they were looking for a for an addition on the back end and they got one and he'll make his debut on Thursday when Dylan DeMello has that awkward walk from the home dressing room to the visitor's side and meets his new teammates doesn't even need to get on an airplane. Just uh, just a matter of shuffling the gear over across the hall. Uh, I want to touch on Jack Rosovic as a center. You mentioned him real quick um, and the what that line's been able to do. I absolutely love their game tonight and last, uh, last game as well. The thing that I like the most about them is the aggression on the forecheck. For me, I see at least two forwards pressuring the puck to the wall as soon as the other team tries to break the puck out and that leads to better trapping. It leads to better neutral zone presence as well. Winnipeg was able to generate turnovers and push the puck the other way even before that line got on the board and I think that speed's one of the things that I love from from that line. I wasn't sure I'd see that from Jack Rosovic as a center this year and I think that's a nice sign for, like you said, the class of 2015 line. Absolutely, they've been impressive. I mean, I think they're all sort of showcasing the best version of themselves. I mean, ever since Mason Appleton got the bump to the second line, I've really loved what he's done. I mean, he's an energetic player. We know he has some some good hands. I mean, really good finish during the homestand. Another nice goal today. I mean, Rosovic makes the play with his speed, but really good finish. I said coming into this year, I thought that he could be the kind of guy that could replace Brandon Tanev. I mean, I, I don't think until this point that we've seen that physical or agitating element from him as much because until you become a full-time NHLer, that's a pretty hard thing to do. And when you're playing on the edge and you're on the fourth line and you're only getting six minutes, you can't afford to be spending two to four minutes in the box. So I've loved what I've seen from him. He's skating really well. Obviously, he's put the ankle or foot injury behind him. Uh, he's added a physical element. And for me, Rosovic has taken his game to another level. At what could be a tough time of year for a guy like him, we've talked about it before, the Jets aren't showcasing him or offering, but he's the type of player teams are asking about when you're when you're making offers and asking for top four defensemen. So really liked what I've seen from him. He's taking care of the defensive side, but I really love the way he skated. I mean, 
We've seen his speed on zone entries lead to goals on a couple of occasions in the last couple of games. And then you have Jansen Harkins, who we've always known he's a smart player. He's worked hard on his skating. He's a guy that's produced at the American Hockey League level last year and this year, big-time numbers. And now he takes a pass from Patrick Laine and buries a one-timer. I mean, it's only a second NHL goal, but that's the type of goal that can make a young player feel like he belongs. And I think Jansen Harkins has shown a lot of that in the last stretch. And and that's what he's got to do if he wants to solidify himself as an NHLer. So that line's been great. I know a player we like to talk about a lot, Nikolai Ehlers. How about the game that he had using his speed on the zone entries? And he gave us a little secret as to as to why he's been been flying. I mean, you should you should handle that one. Well, yeah, call him Nikolai Chocolate Cake Ehlers. As he celebrated his 24th birthday on the 14th, he's got a Valentine's Day birthday, and I guess he said that it was a special something he's been eating lately. He tried to play koi, tried to play koi, and it was birthday cake to boost him in terms of his uh, his wheels of late as well. Yeah, I wasn't going to let him off the hook with that one. Once he, once he mentioned <laughs> food, there was no chance there was not going to be a follow-up question. Uh, Nikolai should have known better. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's the recipe, Nick? you got to be ready for that sort of stuff. i got to say with Jansen Harkins, the first time that he got on my radar as a player of interest wasn't until this season. I, I caught a moose game earlier in the year, and for me, he was very much there, Mark Scheifele, and maybe even at that level, all three zones sort of taken care of, really able to dominate and control play as a center there. And then I gotta, I gotta say another player who, this is a confession, Ken. The first time that Dylan DeMello ended up on my radar was when you wrote about him. I knew he was part of the Eric Carlson trade way back when, but at that point he was just a name for me. Uh, you wrote about him at the Athletic. I know you had talked to some folks as well. And here we have Winnipeg acquiring Dylan DeMello from the Ottawa Senators for just a third-round pick, if I can say it that much. Yeah. Uh, so. Where did that come from? And as the guy that essentially put him on my radar, what do you have to say about the player? Well, for me, I mean, he's just one of those... When we talk about the Jets, I mean, some of the the under-the-radar type of people, he, to me, seemed like one of those guys. I mean, started making a few calls about him. I knew he'd been involved in the trade. I knew he wasn't a flashy player, but he also was the kind of guy that was a stay-at-home guy with a Sharks defense core that had a lot of high-end skilled guys. So, for me... He just was one of those guys where, A, I thought he made a lot of sense, and B, kind of contrary to what you and I both thought, we didn't expect the Jets to be in the rental market, or at least not heavy into the rental market. For me, he was the type of kind of under-the-radar player who, and I'm not saying he doesn't want to explore unrestricted free agency. He's 26 years old. He's in a strong bargaining position. Having said that, he's not a high enough point producer where he'll be breaking the bank in free agency so for a guy like DeMello, fit is so important. And if, I mean, we know he's looked at the depth chart. He mentioned the Jets players that they've lost to, going into today. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to realize the Jets lost Jacob Truba and Dustin Bufflin on the right side, along with Tyler Myers. However, if you're 26 years old and you're looking for a stable situation on a team that should be challenging for a playoff spot for the next several years, given the core that they have, I see this as a two-way test drive. For the Jets, they're going to have 21 games and possibly beyond to have a good look at Dylan DeMello to see if he fits in. We know they've done the due diligence. We know Paul Maurice spoke with Pete DeBoer, who had him in San Jose before he went to Vegas. Not only is he a steady player, salt-of-the-earth guy. No surprise that Maurice mentioned that today. 
And why that's important, it's not just because he's a character person, but when you have a team that is apparently as tight as the Jets are, when a player comes in, that also means someone will be going out. So you don't necessarily, you want to have a guy that can seamlessly fit in, and that's what it sounds like Dylan DeMello is the kind of person that he is. I mean, I didn't know a ton about him either. I mean, I'd seen him sporadically with the Sharks, but never looked at them that closely. The other, we saw him recently. I mean, if a guy's playing with Thomas Shabbat, the guy's got some game. I mean, yes, you usually have a more stay-at-home guy with a guy like that. I mean, the Senators are famous. Mark Mathot made a lot of money by being a steady player beside Eric Carlson. So I'm not, I'm not saying that they're the same player, but those are the kinds of qualities that the Jets were looking for. An under-the-radar guy, not a savior for the back end, but a guy that can give you steady minutes, be a firm player, provide some physical element, moves the puck well enough, and just fits in nicely. I mean, we were talking to Mark Scheifele uh, recently, uh, right after the game, and this is a guy who played minor hockey against him and has a great scouting report on him. And I think he he was looking forward to doing some reminiscing, but also in seeing what DeMello could bring to that back end. And now both of us are curious. Do you put him with Josh Morrissey immediately? Do you see Neil Pionk and Morrissey? Or does DeMello just play on the second pairing with Kulikov and see what happens? Where would you put him? For me, hot take, I would say with Josh Morrissey. I think I've liked the Neil Pionk, Dmitry Kulikov pairing just enough to think that Morrissey with Dylan DeMello would be a, a strong candidate as a starting spot. I know even tonight we saw a couple of minutes uh, during the lead protection phase of the game just towards the end of the third period where ever so briefly there was some Morrissey and Pionk for a shift here or there. When push comes to shove, Paul Maurice hasn't been afraid of that pairing necessarily. For me, the ripple effect though on that, let's say that Morrissey and DeMello play together and you you have Kulikov or another left-handed defenseman with Neil Pionk. What that immediately does, ripple effect-wise, is it gives Tucker Pullman, who had 24 NHL games on his resume heading into the season, a third-pairing job where he has excelled in the past. And what I've seen from Pullman lately is a lot of good plays and a lot of moments where maybe some of that high-end skill that he's made to face in partnering with Josh Morrissey on a night-in, night-out basis is, is kind of catching up with him, I think, at this stage of his career. He's still developing, and I think that a little bit of speed adjustment to the game on that third pairing would be a boon for, for the Winnipeg Jets. I think it makes all three pairings better to add a player like Dylan DeMello. Couldn't agree more, and for Pullman, that's not a knock on Tucker Pullman. It's What's been asked of him as a first-year full-time NHLer is a lot. Yes, he's not a, I mean, he's young in terms of experience. He's not a young guy, but he doesn't have a lot of NHL experience. And when you're playing with Josh Morris, you're playing against the best players on the other team. So, of course, it's a way different game if you're playing 12 to 14 minutes than if you're playing 20. I mean, especially against the level of competition he's been asked to play against. So, for me, the Jets are helping themselves and they're helping Tucker Pullman both advance in his own career and also in feeling more confident about who he's going up against. I mean, I'm very interested in seeing how that other part of the third pairing goes first in the short term and then in the long term because now we're going to have a long log it's funny we talked about depth on defense all year long about it maybe being a little bit thin so if tucker pullman's on the third pairing is nathan bolio on the third pairing is sammy nico on the third pairing when lucas Spies is back is he on the third pairing i mean the jets have a lot of decisions i know that paul Maurice joked about it this morning it's hard to play that you know foolish game of who goes with whom when everyone's healthy because the Jets that sort of has been <laughs> yeah, more of when. a fallacy about that but I mean there's do they go with the rotation do they want to get a pairing settled on the third pairing I mean there's a lot of other 
things that go along with the ripple effect. And, I mean, Sammy Niku had another effective game in 14 minutes. Can he find a way to fight his way into that top six as well? We know Nathan Beaulieu is beloved by both the coaching staff and the team. And, I mean, what's the best way to handle this? I mean, I don't, I don't see an easy answer right now, Murat. Do you? I sincerely don't. And even after all of that, there's Carl Dahlstrom. He's the only one with a contract next year. I mean, Sammy Niku certainly is an RFA. I'm sure he, Winnipeg's going to hold on to him if at all possible. Um, but Spiza is a UFA. Batetto's a UFA. is a UFA. Dmitry Kulikov is a UFA. So if you're thinking long-term, and I, I think... I think the stretch run is going to be about the playoff drive. I don't think long-term is going to come into it necessarily. But Carl Dahlstrom's even yet another option. And then there's the possibility, because we talked to Kevin Shevelday-off today in the conference call, and he says, well, we do have cap space. He conceded that, of course. I asked, um, getting this move done today with days until Monday's trade deadline, that kind of checks something off, doesn't it? And he says, well, yeah, absolutely. There might be a hockey trade out there as well, too. So it's possible that Dylan DeMello isn't the only defenseman added to this logjam of a defense core. And in my opinion, I got to say, if there is some, uh, if there is another top four addition to be made, all of a sudden things look well-rounded in an awful hurry. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm almost leaning the other way. I mean, I started today wondering if Alec Martinez or how long it might be before Alec Martinez was a Winnipeg Jet. Uh, he spoke very openly and candidly about being beside Tyler Toffoli at dinner last night when the trade to the Canucks was announced. He spoke about what it was like for him to be on trade boards, on the rumor mill. I mean, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe, I mean, we know the Jets have expressed some interest in adding a guy that had term, but I mean, it sounds like he's going to be on his way to the Vegas Golden Knights and what a great fit for him. But I think I'm almost leaning the other direction. Uh, when we're talking about under the radar things, I could see Kevin Sheveldayoff shifting his focus to up front. I mean, I'm not saying the Jets are going out to get a second line center, but I could easily see them getting a forward, a depth piece, as well as that class of 2015 line is playing. What if that's the Jets' fourth line in the playoffs, and the third line is some combination of Adam Lowry, Matthew Perot, and either Mason Appleton or ex-player who comes out. I'm thinking a younger version of Wayne Simmons. I mean, I haven't been able to do... My next piece of the research puzzle is to try to find a player who fits this mode that I'm finding in my head out of nowhere, but I could see the Jets going after a third-line player, a Marcus Felino kind of guy. I don't know that Bill Guerin would trade him in division with one year left on his deal, but a guy that could be a 8-10... to 10 goal scorer that would provide a physical element uh, for a team that may run into somebody like the St. Louis Blues in the first round if the Jets could claim one of those wild card spots but I mean I wouldn't be opposed to the Jets going after another defenseman but I mean we just talked about depth on defense I mean could the Jets solidify with one more D-man yes but I also think that when we just talked about a long list of players I mean, if is going to solidify the top four, then I think the Jets might take their chances with, with a third pairing of the four or five guys that we mentioned. So for me, I think that there's an under-the-radar forward. I'm not sure the Jets will be able to acquire him, but when Kevin Sheveldayoff hinted at that hockey trade, for me, my brain went, is angling towards a forward in that you know, middle six, if you will. I mean, probably more likely to slot between six and nine, but... That's where my brain is going right now. Well, he did 
mention forwards as well as one of the possibilities. So that absolutely sounds within the realm of possibility to me. For me, I look at that top four, and if you have Morrissey, Pionk, and DeMello, I think that's three quarters of a top four. Maybe I've been spoiled by being able to have a Kulikov-Myers third pairing for as long as we've seen in Winnipeg. Um, the, the tier and the caliber, I think, is just so much less than that. For me, with Bufflin in the lineup, there would have been one more, would have been an ideal sort of scenario. Forwards-wise, it's interesting because they, they made a couple of gambles, the Winnipeg Jets did. And maybe they weren't necessarily gambles in the summertime, but Mark Letestu could have been a responsible depth player who killed some penalties. I mean, he uh, had a, a bit of an AHL stint recently. Gabriel Bort could have come in and been a defensive stalwart and killed penalties, but he hasn't quite been at that tier of player that I hear you talking about in this sort of situation to, to move up. So when it comes to Wayne Simmons light or young version of that, uh, maybe Blake Coleman light to name a player that uh, is probably a little bit upper tier in terms of how he can drive play and, and where he plays but that type of player I, I would be impressed if and only if I think it turned into a playoff spot in, in the end because right now the Jets have a first a second a fifth and a sixth in this draft their forward prospect pool is dwindling or dwindled Christian Vestline and himself hasn't had a, a big year on defense it looks pretty good there's a lot of skill in a lot of different sorts of ways but this is very much a right now team, isn't it? If we're talking about the big picture, all of a sudden, all the chips are in. This is this year. We The Jets are looking to make the playoffs and keep their window going. It's interesting. I mean, if you're Kevin off, obviously they're looking to the future, and we've talked about the flexibility. And, and that's why the other part about DeMello, it leaves the flexibility that you had talked about last week on the boarding pass available for bigger summertime moves, whether they include DeMello or not. You're not... It's funny. I mean, one side of the coin, you'd say the Jets would prefer someone with term, but you also understand that the flexibility would still be there in the summer either way. But I expect the Jets to go hard at signing DeMello long, or not long term, but I mean, somewhere, he's a 26-year-old, so I could easily see a three-year deal for him if he would be open to that. And maybe I would say the dollar value is somewhere in that $3 million range because, again, he's not a high, high-end offensive octane guy that isn't going to be getting that $5 million contract. So, I mean, it's very interesting. The Jets have a 33-year-old captain who's playing at a very high level, was reunited with his favorite line mate against the LA Kings, and is determined to win a Stanley Cup. So, I don't think he's banging on Kevin Sheveldayevov's door saying, push all the chips in, but you could easily see the Jets believing that all they have to do is get in to go on a run. I mean, the thing about teams, it's not always a linear path, right? Two years ago, they went to the conference final, had some heartache. Last year, out in the first round of the Stanley Cup champions. I mean, I would not be surprised if they pushed a few more chips in. I don't know. And, you know, they, he, Kevin Sheveldev was asked, where, where do you draw the line? And I, I wonder if in Kevin Sheveldev's mind, if that line is 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 a firm line <laughs> or if it's in chalk and it, it is moving. And to be perfectly honest, Murat, how big a factor are the next three games in where that line is ultimately drawn, whether the Jets are willing to part with their first-round pick or with a guy like Sammy Niku as a sweetener? I mean, what do they need to do in these next three in order for Kevin Sheveldayoff to push a few more chips? And as he said today, 
keep his line in the water a little bit longer for one of those last minute specials. Well, hey, isn't that the case though? Because, you know, a third round pick for Dylan DeMello, I think that's a good price. But all of a sudden now their assets in, there's a sunk cost there. Winnipeg still, as of we speak tonight, one point out and Nashville has games in hand on them. Um, So there is quite quite a competition. The odds of a playoff spot, absolutely not guaranteed. The more that Winnipeg pays in search of this playoff spot, the more is on the table in terms of risk. And I think in a lot of ways, to me, I, I see chapters of Kevin Sheveldayoff's Winnipeg Jets career. There's a draft and develop uh, period of time with a little bit of a retool partway through. Then there's the coming of age of all those players on entry-level contracts, Patrick Liney, Nick Ehlers, Kyle Connor during that 2017-18 run so many and beyond so many from head to toe that team was loaded with value contracts and now here's the chapter where there's a retool needed there's been some there's been all kinds of crap he's had to deal with in terms of uh not calling the Dustin Buffalo situation crap but just a difficulty is what I'm trying to say um things have hit the fan so to speak in terms of what he's had to deal with and so how he navigates this situation is probably going to define, to me, this era of Kevin Sheveldayoff as Winnipeg Jets manager. And his resume is going to, would look awfully so much better with a playoff spot to his name after all of it than to put all those chips in. Hey, what if a second-round pick goes? Now they're looking at a first, a fourth, and a fifth, and a deep 2020 draft, and there wasn't a playoff spot? That, that's a precarious edge to be leaning on right now. Sure is. But on the flip side, if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, you're in your ninth season as the general manager and there's only two playoff series wins. I mean, that that's also reality that, that people are dealing with. We've talked about long-term commitments. The Jets have extended Paul Maurice. We know that Kevin Sheveldayoff has the support of, of, man, or of the ownership group, but if you see this team as having the opportunity, if they get in, based on having elite-level goaltending, I mean, there's going to be some temptation to pushing a few more chips in, and I mean... Once you push a few more in, I mean, what's holding you back from pushing a few more in, right? I mean, that's that's where the Jets are at. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to go all in or that they should, but they beat the St. Louis Blues twice. I mean, Kevin Sheveldayoff would never make a decision based on two recent meetings with the St. Louis Blues, but if all of a sudden the Blues aren't this unbeatable force, I mean, now people... Do you look at them differently? I'm not sure that I do, but, I mean, they've lost one part of their shutdown pairing with Colton Pareko, with Jay Bomeister and that unfortunate uh, hard incident, but they went out and got Marco Scandella. I mean, Marco Scandella is a Central Division player with a lot of experience, but I don't think we're confusing him with what Jay Bomeister has done with that team. I mean, Jordan Bennington is a storybook story in itself, but he looked pretty dare I say ordinary in those two games against the Jets and there was another game before the break or where Bennington gave up four and the Jets lost 5-4 I mean he didn't look as as unbeatable as he did last year so I mean there's a lot of teams the Jets would have to win and I'm not suggesting right now that the, the roster is currently constructed would have difficulty winning four rounds I'm pretty sure you and I would agree on that but who knows I mean if the Jets get in, who knows what can happen, but I'm very curious to see how this next six days go. I mean, I wrote about the top five deals Kevin Sheveldayoff made at the, at the deadline this morning, and six hours later the story had been replaced by something fresh, and 
you know, we'll look back one day. Will Dylan DeMello be in that top five list five years from now? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. And that's going out and saying there may be one more move coming. I mean, I don't know that there'll be a blockbuster coming, but I think it'll be interesting. There are going to be a lot of calls made. And for me, is there a St. Louis Blues team out there like there was two years ago where the GM decides to sell a UFA that you would have never expected to be on the market. Is there a Paul Stastny to be had? What we know right now is that the Jets are in a position where they would not need a team like St. Louis to retain half the salary like they did when they brought in Paul Stastny. They have the ability to take on a bigger contract if they decide to push a few more chips in. Do I think that's going to happen? I think it's unlikely, but I wouldn't rule anything out based on the next couple weeks. And I mean, what, what do you think? Well, cap space, I was just going to get into that, absolutely, because Dylan DeMello makes, he's the eighth of 11 defensemen. As soon as he plays a game, he'll be the eighth to make a million or less in raw salary this season. So that's an affordable contract to pick up, which is a good thing for Winnipeg. They're not starving for, for cap uh, space right now, because as you and I both believe, the Dustin Bufflin situation will resolve, and there won't be a cap penalty of any kind necessarily associated with that. Brian Little's out for the season. They're not going to put him on LTIR in my mind. Well, they can't yet right now. They can't. They would have to pick someone up to put them over the cap in order to get the relief, right? I think that's... I'm not that's exactly lawyer, where that's I'm... That's my understanding. Well, the LTIR cushion um, has to do with how far over... The pool that you get, you get more of a, uh, of a cushion pool the closer to the cap that you are, right? So Brian Little's cap hit doesn't push the Jets over the, the salary cap maximum. So there's nothing to be gained for that. Even if there was something to be gained from that, the cap cushion that you get from that is dollar for dollar. So let's say they were a penny away from the, the salary cap. Boom, Brian Little's on LTIR. They get that $5.29 million in terms of that cushion. That's dollar for dollar. Winnipeg, thanks to the Buffalo situation and other situations so far this season, is so far below the cap right now. With cap space being prorated, the space that they're working with at the deadline is is between twelve and eighteen million dollars, depending on how you look at it. That's so much space. I can't imagine that cap space hampers the Winnipeg Jets' activities at the deadline. As a matter of fact, and I don't know what example to to come up with, but a reverse of the Armia and Mason type deal where there's a good player involved and a bad contract. I think Winnipeg's uniquely positioned to, to take advantage of a situation like that. Cap space is, is definitely a strength, I think, for this team right now. Um, and I'll, I'll pause there because I want to talk something analytics in a second, but I, I think in terms of cap space, it looks like you got a thought on No, no, I just, <laughs> uh, the, the only, I totally get where you're coming from there, but the only thing to consider is the buyout portion, right? Montreal wasn't making that move unless they were going to buy out Steve Mason. I mean, would there be someone... It would have to be cost-efficient in order for the Jets to make a move like that. But, again, it, it is another weapon in the arsenal where the Jets are looking at, whether it's now or in the summertime. Yeah, whether used or not used, perhaps it's just something that's sitting there as, as a possible tool in the box. And uh, certainly, Kevin Dayoff has been part of a type of deal like that before. Um, but they're not that common. The truth is they're not that common. So if there's something to be seen, perhaps... On the analytics side of things, I just wanted to throw in a quick plug for Dylan DeMello, essentially uh, driving underlying numbers in Ottawa this season. Uh, his with or without you situation looks great, whether he's playing with Borokop on the second pairing, as he did for most of the season, or even Thomas Shabbat on, the, on that top pairing. Both 
uh, of Ottawa's other defensemen in that situation did quite a lot better in terms of uh, pushing shot attempts, pushing expected goals. Everybody looks good on that front. And the good news on that front as well, too, is that it looks the same in San Jose when, he, when DeMello had a, a slightly lesser role, but still um, his results were good. The underlying numbers look good. If you try to isolate all that stuff with the RAPM things and if you're, if you're into that as well, it really does look like he's capable of, of driving plays. So if there is a fit and if there is something there that that extension that you're talking about is a possibility, if there's a fit on the ice and if there's a fit between all the human beings, he stands to be uh, a strong play. The other just sort of mathy thing, I, I read a great piece by Dom Chishin on load management today, and one of the things that keeps coming up in is the difference between hockey and basketball, because we know load management basketball. But in hockey, a traditional favorite is something like 60 to 40 in terms of percentage, right? In basketball, it's it can get as high as 80 to 20. Uh, a best of seven in basketball is as accurate mathematically according to the probability folks as something like a best of 50 something in hockey right there's so much more chaos there's so many more players involved there's so many more bounces involved this is my long-winded way of saying ken that when you're talking about getting in and having stuff happening i'm not saying that that's necessarily a strategy just get in and hope but it's distinctly more possible for underdogs to go on runs in, in, in the playoffs and in hockey than in necessarily in some of the other sports that we watch. Right, and no better example than what Los Angeles, right? Weren't they a... They were definitely a low seed. Eighth seed? Eighth seed all the way down. Absolutely, yeah. They were, they were Corsi darlings, but right. they've been that way for a while and it didn't always necessarily work out for them at that time. But exactly, uh, exactly that. And then the last thing on that, while I'm ranting on this topic is I feel at this stage with a little bit of season ticket questions and all and um, every once in a while there's a few empty seats in here as well I feel like a million dollars or so the estimate that I understand for home home game revenue would mean a ton to the Winnipeg Jets in terms of their budget and uh, in terms of what they're able to do and build going forward so every additional home gate night uh, has got to mean a ton for them absolutely I mean whether that's two or six or whatever the number ends up being absolutely that would be a factor i mean kevin chevaldayoff is also see, you know he was part of the stanley cup winning chicago blackhawks team in 2010 he's also seen what emptying your draft pick pool can do in terms of long-term ramifications and i mean for a long time the hawks were still able to sign college free agents and made a lot of smart deals and when they shipped guys out things still worked out for them but i mean we basically saw on Sunday night that the Hawks have had a great run in another year where they're pretty top-heavy and there's still a lot of question marks and it looks like they could be another one of those teams that is moving into the seller pile this year, which is going to be tough for guys like Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, and Duncan Keith, all of which who want to put a fourth banner up during their tenure. But, I mean, it's tough for veterans. We saw I saw this morning. I mean, LA's room said all the right things, but... When Tyler Toffoli is walking out and now Alec Martinez is following out the door, I mean, it, it's a tough time for guys like Drew Doughty. I mean, yes, you know that's what you signed up for, but boy, oh boy, when, when you're used to being a championship contender and now you're an also-ran, that's, that's a hard way to operate. I mean, yes, these guys are professionals. They're giving everything they had. They're playing hard for Todd McClellan. But, man, when, you're, when you've built a winning culture... And now the wins are tough to come by. It it's it makes things challenging. It, not only just to get the buy-in, but 
to continue to have those you need veterans that are going to push themselves to be better and that's what Chicago's done as well but man the balance that delicate balance between all in medium in stand I mean we wondered if standing pat was going to be an option and both you and I didn't think it really made a lot of sense given how many UFA defensemen are on the roster because the Jets need to play Sammy Niku and not roll out five or four or five out of the six guys as UFAs I mean or it would be four to six, I guess. But, man, it's there's all these decisions that are happening behind the scenes and other things you have to consider. And as you mentioned, I mean, when you're talking about revenue, playoff run is big for the bottom line. So, I mean, the Jets, obviously their first priority is to get in. I mean, what they're going to do in order to get try to get there, that we're going to find out in the next six days. Yeah, well, hey, we're at Bell MTS Place right now. We should wrap. But you're going to hear this on Thursday over... And on Thursday, that means there's four working days of deadline activity. Kevin Sheveldayoff's desk has been cleared of a third rounder. Dylan DeMello is on his way in. Will more chips get pushed in between now and Monday's trade deadline? Well, we're going to find out, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to cover it. One last thing i got to say, just because I just remembered uh, that Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun are having Pittsburgh's general manager on their podcast this week as well. So in the middle of trade deadline talk to have direct access to a, a GM for a podcast, make sure that you listen to the two-man advantage pod. For those of you Apple listeners out there, please rate and subscribe to the boarding pass on Apple. And make sure that you know, if you click on the show's URL, which is theathletic.com slash pass, you're going to get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. For Ken Weeb, I'm Murata Tesh, and thank you for listening to The Boarding Pass. Thank you.